you know, I have heard, you know, predominantly white males say, well, won't, won't diversity just happen naturally? Or, Mm -hmm. and kind of like you said, maybe there is a reason why, you know, men gravitate towards tech, you know, dominant positions. There is a reason why it's because those jobs and benefiting from that career were, was a system designed by, by them. So it was, they were, they designed a system to benefit themselves where, you know, it was just that one, one perspective. Welcome to the Future Tribe podcast, where we're all about taking your future to the next level. Whether it is interviewing guests or unpacking strategies, you know we will be talking about getting things done and backing you, a fellow optimistic go-getter. And now, as always, here is your host, the formidable, fortunate and highly favoured, Jermaine Muller. Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. On this week's episode, we've got Katie Zink. How are you today, Katie? I am doing well, Jermaine. Thank you so much. How's it going for you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. You're uh, in the US. Is that right? I am. Yes. I'm on the West Coast of the US in Portland, Oregon. Nice. Nice. So before we get the ball rolling, give me an idea of what you do, you know, what, what we're here to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have launched kind of my signature consulting program in this in the newest iteration this year. And what that is, is a, a consulting program for organizations looking to commit formally or actualize diversity, equity and inclusion work. So especially where I live in Portland, kind of in the tech scene is where I reside primarily. There is a lot of activity right now of figuring out what that means and how to go about it in a strategic way. So what my, my program does, it's a, it's a three-month guided track that's essentially the process of any kind of strategic planning process where I guide their, their equity work and help them figure out kind of how the first year will look. So it's for organizations who know they want to commit. They just don't really know how to get started yet. Okay. So for those who are listening and, you know, for me as well, let's, could we sort of simplify like what, what you do, you know, you've used words like equity, diversity, inclusivity in sort of layman's terms. What does that mean? Like what, if, if you have the effect that you intend to have, what, what is the difference that you make? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. So we were seeing for you know decades and decades that specifically in the tech industry, it was a, a white majority, a white male majority to be more exact. And so there started to be a lot of passion behind diversifying who's working in those fields, in that field, and, and, and knowing that skill set and being able to earn a wage that you earn in the tech world. So there have been lots of kind of committees and organizations that are aligning to figure out how to diversify tech talent. There are a lot of different programmings coming around about getting high school students ready to enter the, a career in tech, if that's what mm-hmm. they want, or getting them interested in pursuing it, helping them believe that they can do it, you know? And, and so the goal really is to make sure we don't have just a homogenous white majority anymore eventually. That's gonna take a long time to get there, but there is a lot of, I think, momentum now, and, and I think even, even especially now um, in the United States, we're really waking up to what racism yeah. has done and this, you know, what it's actually um, been doing and, and is doing. So my work is really to kind of wake people up additionally and figure out what, how the cultures need to shift in order mm. for more people to feel like themselves and like they can bring their whole selves to work. It's more about people feeling like they have a voice to enact change and less of kind of prescriptive top-down leadership kind of been doing it, you know, doing it as they've been doing it kind of rhetoric. It's just more of an inclusive people just having a sense of belonging and, and feeling kind of connected. And, you know, the idea is that if people are more engaged and feeling like themselves at work, innovation will soar, productivity will be better. So it really is kind of, a holistic way to think about organizational effectiveness in a way that benefits everybody, not just the mm-hmm. same types of people getting opportunities over and over again. And I guess part of this thought process is that when you 
make it more accessible for more types of people. So not just, you know, the, the white man that you would also, I mean, even think about innovation, you'll get a different mindset, different ideas. You, you naturally sort of opening it up to, you know, different races, different backgrounds, different experiences, different mm-hmm. genders and so on and so forth. So I, I never thought about it from that angle because, you know, I guess to, to hit the, you know, I guess the, uh, hard stuff sort of pretty early on in our in our conversation I, I think traditionally you've sort of people have looked at it as you know why are we trying to force this thing that doesn't exist like you know if if this gender or this type of person is predominant in this sector that there might be a reason for it and I guess the the assumption was that the reason was that it just attracted that specific type of person versus looking at it from I guess what we've sort of touched on in that maybe we just the the system was just in place to suit that person so we almost uh the system just was selective not not maybe not as obviously as as we needed to be for everyone to sort of be like okay I can see why that's a problem but historically it's just been a very selective system is that is that fair to say Yeah, I think it's abundantly fair and and really astute, actually, to think about, you know, I have heard, you know, predominantly white males say, well, won't won't diversity just happen naturally? Or, Mm -hmm. and kind of like you said, maybe there is a reason why, you know, men gravitate towards tech, you know, dominant positions. There is a reason why it's because those jobs and benefiting from that career were, was a system designed by, by them. So it was, they were, they designed a system to benefit themselves where, you know, it was just that one, one perspective. I think that's absolutely yeah. fair to say. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, exactly. And even the outcomes were designed or the outcomes from, you know, receiving those promotions or, or getting into those jobs were set up in such a way that they were attractive to, you know, a certain type of person mm-hmm. because, because let's be honest, you, you ideally you would do work for more than just the money. And, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of other things that you get out of it. And naturally over the years, it's just been refined and refined and refined so that those outcomes are desirable because mm-hmm. as an employer, as, as an organization, as a company, it's desirable to make those outcomes desirable versus undesirable, right? So mm-hmm. I guess you're making me think about it more because I, I have, you know, over the years, my, my opinions have changed and sort of as I've become more educated, it's, it's changed. But I feel like this alone, this conversation alone in the last five minutes has educated me even further because I have just looked at it as, you know, why are we trying to force something that hasn't existed or doesn't exist? And, you know, that was me a few years ago before I did enough study and started to understand it but now now I'm understanding it even even more so that's really interesting but let's quickly rewind and go back to how you got into this you know what 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 led you to this because it's not really you know no one sort of at least no one I know has sort of said you know I want to grow up and get into what you've gotten into it's usually accounting doctor you know entrepreneur maybe or youtuber nowadays but how did you end up where you've ended up yeah Oh, and I didn't think I was going to be doing this either. I was one of those people that really had no idea what to do, where I saw myself going. But what I did know is that I just had to try a lot of things. I wouldn't say that I started off with so much of a growth mindset as I kind of self-adopted one when I kind of started doing a lot of more internal work and It really started when I found myself in my college years. I started off as a communications student. And I was, I think, one of the lucky ones in that I really didn't know what I wanted to do. But when I started that, I f- found myself right at home and I, and I really just became enthralled with studying communications. I, I loved it so much that I was like, okay, well, I love this. I want to keep growing. What else can I expand into? And communications is thought of as kind of a social science. And so I became kind of really in, 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 um, intrigued by the social sciences and, and found myself taking women and gender studies courses. And that's really when I, I, I'll never forget kind of the sensation those courses gave me of, gosh, I just want more people to have this information, what I'm learning. And so I loved it so much that I, can, I pursued kind of a double major in communications and women and gender studies. And, mm-hmm. and I was lucky enough to attend a school that had, you know, fantastic um, programming and fantastic professors. 
after that though, I still was like, well, what am I going to do with this? I, I loved this. I loved having this education and having this, these experiences, but I don't feel all necessarily that motivated to just go into the workforce yet. I didn't want to have, you know, you know, when you're in college and you're, you know, when you're kind of younger, you don't think you're going to have a traditional life. You don't think you're going to be the <laughs> nine to fiver. I definitely didn't think I would be, <laughs> but mm-hmm. fast forward about, let's see, maybe seven years um, of working in hospitality and just kind of living my 20s and having a lot of fun, I finally decided, okay, you know, I was living in, in Colorado at the time. And that's, you know, where a lot of, you know, amazing skiing and outdoors, you know, it's just a beautiful part of the country. And I was 20, I want to say 25 or 26. And I, you know, realized, gosh, I feel like it's time for me to start my career path. I don't know what it's going to be, but I know I probably can't find it here. And so I moved to Portland and I, you know, started off kind of in the hospitality realm again, here again. And I just, it was different. It was a very, like, I I enjoyed it way less. I have to say, like I was treated very poorly, harassed, you know, when I spoke up, for what was going on for me, I would get fired. You know, I would just be, be treated horribly by management, you know, definitely by so the So this customers. is within the workforce. This is this is when I was still working in hospitality. Right, yeah. right. Okay. And and what what sort of hospitality were you working in at, at this time? It was food and beverage mostly, mm-hmm. um, serving mm-hmm. and bartending. And, restaurants, and restaurants or bars sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay, right. So you were sort of, I guess by this stage you had you had gone through college, got that, got that education. And you were sort of looking at it going, hold on, this isn't right. And this is consistently not right. Is that, is that sort of what you were sort of thinking in your mid twenties? Mm-hmm. I, I, I would say so. Like I started to notice more patterns and kind of how women in particular mm-hmm. were being treated and the challenges we had um, in that setting. And then I ended up leaving kind of because of that. So that's when I got into the tech scene. I started having different you know, different roles in tech, kind of more sales and marketing type roles. And then about six years kind of going into that, I additionally just kept noticing just like what it was like to be, you know, a woman in, t- a woman in tech and, you know, mm-hmm. working in an office. And along those, that whole timeline, I was kind of volunteering at different causes too. I, I was um, organizing on a marketing committee for a, a shelter for domestic violence sur- uh, survivors and women in the trades, you know, different organizations that, that helped women kind of pursue different types of work. I was volunteering as a ski coach for Special Olympics in Oregon here too. So I've mm-hmm. had, you know, a, a degree of exposure to different types of um, folks and identities and communities. And I just really got a lot out of that. So when the time came, this is now fast forward till about 2016 in our most recent election, that was a popular time, I would say similar to what's going on in the US now, where it was just very hot button and people were wanting to take the power back into their own hands because of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so you, you'll, you'll, you would have seen a lot of different committees and task forces kind of sprout up for diversity inclusion. It kind of like hit the scene that year, yeah. I would say. Yeah. It became sort of the hot topic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because even like, you know, years before that, it wasn't really even thought of. So, mm. so around that time is when I got kind of more visibly involved um, and volunteered my time to lead committees and, and help strategize where I was working at the time. And where I was working was a fantastic company. I, I loved it there. I was there for four years and they really invested in me. And, but at the same time, I just flat out felt limited in what I could really accomplish. So as an employee, you meant, you yes. mean sort of being sort of part of that machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you felt there was more potential for what Katie can do and sort of the impact that you can make. For sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. I would say about two years later, I realized like, I want to be self-employed. I want to work for myself mm. and figure that out. So I took a few more years to kind of think about what that would look like and then decided to launch my consulting service, um, doing what I do because I loved it so much. And I thought, you know, I know I want to be, you know, driving my own business and and running a business and this is what I care about the most right now. So how can I make that, make that work? So how long ago was this that you sort of went out on your own? It's been recently, actually, I launched my, my first service in April. My last day at my company was March 6th. 
Where were you, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, the company is called Learning.com. They're here in Portland, Oregon, and the headquarters is here. And it's uh, an ed tech company. So Mm -hmm. they develop Mm -hmm. a curriculum to teach students starting in, in kindergarten all the way to grade eight tech skills, digital skills to help them, you know, in their lives and in their career paths in school. Was there, was there website URL learning.com as well? Yes. <laughs> wow. I imagine that they'd be getting offers all the time to just buy the domain name, let alone the, the company. I, I mean, think we should. I think they should consider that because it's, yeah. you think it'd be really great for SEO. And I worked in the marketing team actually for a short period of time. But it was really hard to differentiate what you what we actually did with a That's domain true. like learning. It's such a generic, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you could imagine, you know, any of the big players if they decided to get into that sort of education space, you know, and iTunes for education, for example, for courses. Someone like Apple would just come along and be like, you know. Uh, let, let me just offer what does one billion dollars sound like for learning.com because getting i mean you, you would have you would have found out yourself that getting a domain name that's available and makes sense and is short is near impossible nowadays it's something it's a constant struggle for for a lot of people yes yeah it was for sure something i had to think on for a while and i luckily yeah. Luckily, we see more like .co, I think, is another mm-hmm. creative way, which I end up yes. using um, .co for, my, for mine. And it's nice and short. So like your, like your website, katiesinc.co, is mm-hmm. really handy because it's your name and it's .co, so it's nice and short. Like, I mean, it's basically as short as you can get a URL while still, you know, being on brand. So if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? I just turned 32. I, okay. um, yeah, I actually launched my business on my birthday. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Happy birthday. <laughs> you, you. So you, you launched in April of this year. Yes. Mid coronavirus. Pre, yeah. I mean, technically mid coronavirus, but I left my job. I was doing it kind of on the side as consulting. Mm-hmm. And so I left mm-hmm. my job March 6th to focus on this full time. And everything changed here, at least that next week. From yeah, yeah yeah so what's what's <laughs> that been like i mean what what were you envisioning your your lead generation to be like or did you already have a few sort of few things in place so a few a few projects in place as you, as you left or um were you just going to hit the ground running and and get get clients you know that that next week after leaving mm-hmm no, it's a good question. I, and I've gotten this question definitely a lot when I first kind of was honest with people about what I was doing and where I wanted to go. Mm. And that was just an amazing feeling because people were so supportive, but they were like, okay, so do you have clients or what are you going to, how are you going to do this? <laughs> it's all well and good, but how, how is it going to happen? Yeah. I needed a ton of coaching. I actually worked with two different coaches before mm. I decided to leave my job. It was a long process to mentally prepare for that. And I actually worked with an Australian coach. Okay. I don't know if you know Rachel Kership, but she is phenomenal. I would recommend her highly for anybody looking for uh, marketing, branding, coaching, Mm -hmm. and somebody Mm -hmm. looking to actually craft a signature service like what I've done. So I started working in her program in January of this year with the intent that, you know, that'd be a three-month coaching program that I could launch at the end. And mm-hmm. that she, so through, through my work with her is how I figured out my, my business development strategy and how I would get leads and, and my content marketing strategy and all that good stuff. And I, I made the decision to run with a beta test mm-hmm. plan. So my, my goal right now is to put the program through beta and, you know, offer kind of a, a 50% off situation to work with the client to kind of run through it with me and maybe, you know, customize it a little more for them, but they'd really be informing me along the way. I have the program built, but I've, 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 I'm comfortable with the fact that this first year will just be me iterating on the program, building relationships, just networking my ass off basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, then- so, so, so you've just touched on a good point about, you know, just sort of facing the fact that the first year might not be your biggest year. It's sort of that just laying down the foundation. Did you look at it from a financial point of view? Did you sort of really save up to do this and fund this for at least the next 12 months? Was was that sort of a very intentional decision there? Yes. No, I I appreciate that question. It's such a reality. I mean, I, this was a long con for sure. Mm. uh, Mm. Yeah. a, A very long con for me. I took a financial freedom course, actually, it must have been maybe a year and a half ago now, 
think it was actually last summer. And I learned all of, I, it was just, I don't know if you pay attention much to those, the kind of folks that, you know, want to save up so they can retire by yeah, 30 yeah, or 40. Yeah, yeah, the fire movement. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, we've had some, uh, we had some guests who sort of followed that. And yeah, I think they were in their 30s when they left there their full-time gigs so yeah. yeah yeah definitely very cool so i i did a course basically by somebody of that world and really got a lot out of it and so i was incredibly intentional about saving and and i think they call it like fu money or something For people that maybe someday just want to leave and walk away and pivot entirely they can so that that helped me. I, I was, you know, say I had a savings rate of, you know, 50% for a while. So I was able, yeah. I was lucky in that way. It was, you know, it wasn't easy, but I would call myself kind of a minimalist and really what I spent money on is, you know, going out to eat in the city and travel. So mm-hmm. um, I've been able to, you know, budget and from an informed place for a while, which is great. And then I, I, back years ago, I had an Airbnb listing so I was able to kind of side hustle a little bit that way. Nice. I rented out my place on Airbnb. And sometimes I would just kind of live out of my car or sleep at my partner's. <laughs> he was nice enough to let me crash over at his place. Yeah, but yeah. that was after I had a really bad bike accident. And so I needed some surgery. And so I was inspired to do that to help pay for it. And then I ended up doing it for three more years to help me really save up in preparation mm-hmm. for this too. I mean, you just got to, you just got to sort of, this, this is what I keep telling people, like if you need to, you know, make money, there's, there's just ways to do it. There's ways to, you know, balance it out. There's way there's, there's creative things like you, you've done to just save if, if that's, if, if that's what's holding you back, because I think it's very easy to come up with reasons as to why you can't do what you want to do. It's much harder to actually just, you know, take down those obstacles and just, just go for it. And, and like you said, you know, it was a long game. Maybe, you know, you, you had to work for someone um, or work a job for a bit longer than you were initially hoping to. But at the end of the day, it's just what you got to do to, to get yourself in a position where now, you know, for the next 12 months, you can, think about, I think a lot of people like get into this mentality of, I need to get revenue. I need to make money. I need to make money. Yes. You need to make money for, for business to become a business. Otherwise um, you're just, you know, doing something for free, but at the same time, you also need to free yourself from that thought process of everything I do has to generate money straight away because at the end of the day, it's, you know, what, what you're finding out is, yes, you, you know, give it a discount because it's not really about the money that, that, that you're charging someone. It's about the value that you can provide and the value that you can get in return to, to craft something that is going to be better so that, you know, at the end of 12 months, you have this product that is, or this service that is so finely tuned because of this uh, free stuff or this half price stuff that you've done that you can just go out and just blow it up because it's, you, you know, that you can just rinse and repeat in a, in a nice way, in a good way mm-hmm. versus just sort of going, just hope and a prayer that, you know, this, this service that I've sold for someone at full price is going to be what they want. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just what you got to do, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. And um, it is really scary. If it's not good, feeling financial strain, you know, has a lot of negative effects, but I, I found that from a financial budgeting advice perspective, if you have kind of an emergency fund set up, like if you've done the math and figured out, okay, if I didn't have any income for six months, what does that mean for me? I found that a lot com- more comforting just to you know that yeah, I'll be definitely. okay for this amount of time. I can always get, you know, another service industry job, maybe not now, but something like that. Yeah, yeah if, exactly. I mean, you've got enough still to hold you out. And, you know, I, I, I hear the people who say it's, that's, that's easy to say. It's much harder to do, you know, when you've got a family X, Y, and Z, but I truly believe, especially in, in a lot of sort of in the modern world, so to put it, we are we are pushed to make, uh, to spend money and to make decisions that we feel like we don't have an option, but really in reality we do. I mean, I've, I remember helping this family for, for free because they couldn't afford, it was like a two, $300 service that I just did. You know, I just said, you know what, I'll, I'll just, I'll just help you out. And they were really financially strapped. But what surprised me when I turned up was that the kid had the latest iPhone. And, you know, at that stage I had like a, I had a, I think it was a two-year-old Android phone. And I was sort of looking at this whole situation thinking, 
you know, not that, not that you need to look at it and go, Oh, you know, you've got an iPhone as if you can't afford this service, but you've got to look at it thinking sort of priorities. And, and I think it's very easy nowadays to be convinced that, you know, I've got to get the new iPhone when it comes out um, and therefore not be able to save even 200 bucks or 300 bucks and sort of go, it was only two, $300, but that could really be the difference between, you know, eating for four weeks and, and not. So it's, it's a, it's sort of an interesting um, conversation to have always. I think money is always something that you don't want to talk to people about, but it's interesting nonetheless talking about it because it's, it's, it's a, it's a reality, right? We can't, you, you couldn't have sort of said, you know, I don't have to worry about the money. I'm just going to, that's, that's not how it works. You've got to keep the lights on and you've got to feed yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a very, uh, that, that's why I want to get into this conversation with you and, and sort of talk about that side of things as well. So how are you finding things at the moment? Like, what are you, what are you doing? What, what are the strategies that you're sort of employing? In terms of financially? In terms of sort of getting the, well, in terms, sorry, in terms of getting the business sort of going, especially given the fact that, are you guys still sort of in, in lockdown or were you ever in lockdown over there or? Yes, we we were in lockdown. The, the um, order came about on March 15th. That's when businesses all started closing and companies all sent their, most companies sent their employees remote. And mm-hmm. so people have been working virtually. And we, we are, it's not as strict as I hear in some other places. Uh, we can leave the house. We can take walks around the neighborhood. There's no policing on that, but they're just strongly encouraging people to keep things local and it's just, you know, not gathering groups. So yes, I, I live here with my partner and his brothers. So there's the four of us. We're kind of like a little happy family and they all are out of work from, from COVID. They work right, in the wow. film and media industry. So, you know, that oh, stuff's all obviously yeah. been, been put on hold. So mm-hmm. they're home here and I'm self-starting here. It's been, but it's been really good. So I think our governor released a plan on this last Friday that businesses could apply for phase two of reopening. So um, in the United States, some places have re- been start, have already reopened. It was kind of a controversial thing, but here in Portland, they've been very kind of meticulous about it. And um, our numbers are, are looking pretty encouraging in terms of cases. So it feels like it's we're coming out to a spot where we can be thoughtful and still keep six feet, you know, and, and just be conscious of, of who we're around and still practicing the same things we've been told to practice. But, you know, protesting has been a thing that people are doing largely in these, in in the cities throughout. And um, in Portland, I know that, you know, we've been, we've been going to the protests and, Mm -hmm. but testing is also available pretty, pretty widely here too. So we we were able to kind of see, okay, well, I've, I'm, I'm, you know, showing negative in my test results. So I can at least yeah. know that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So how are you navigating that? The fact that, uh, I mean, was your original plan to really reach out to people, meet them in person, explain to them sort of mm-hmm. how you can help them? Was that part of your plan or was it mm-hmm. always going to be fairly remote, fairly, you know, heavy on emails and things like that? Mm-hmm. I am comfortable working virtually, but my plan was to go probably in space with people and on site mm-hmm. for them. And historically how I've done the work is to meet all together in person as kind of a coalition or, or committee. So that's what I'm used to. I think that especially when you're doing a workshop or something like that and face-to-face in person is always just more powerful. Yeah. Or at least that's what people are used to. Now I've done everything virtually, you know, virtual networking, having calls. And I, I really like that. At first it kind of felt like, oh, we're all here doing we're kind of, you know, figuring this out together and the pressure was sort of off. Mm-hmm. You know, they were upfront about the fact that they won't be bringing in outside consultants anytime soon. I had a yes. few leads say, you know, maybe we'll bring you in in June, you know, and so that was two months ago. And now mm-hmm. I'm following back up with them this month. And, you know, one of them took really my call and wants to have a virtual okay. meeting, but was upfront and said, you know, at, at the earliest I could see them hiring you wouldn't be until the end of the year or early next. So, my goal is just to build as many new connections and, you know, showcase my service as much as I can and, and focus on visibility, awareness, just, and, 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 and the market research. So making sure it's just the right offering, mm-hmm. further quantifying exact, getting really exact on my target market and my audience. Right now I'm kind of in that state where I think my service can help anybody. I need to really yeah. like get more specific. Find your niche, what you enjoy, what you can yeah. really 
provide that edge and that that sort of differentiating factor right um because i mean you know not to be sort of rude about it but I would assume, and I guess it's just a state of thinking, is it fair to assume that looking at, you know, budget cuts and financial stresses that companies are facing, diversity and inclusion is sort of lower down the the priority list unless they've had, you know, very specific issues around it. They don't, they wouldn't necessarily reach out and, and, and sort of chase after that. Is that fair to say? It is fair to say. I think it's something that practitioners like myself are working to change that narrative and be seen yeah. as a not a nice to have but a must to ha- must yeah. have but i think that yeah especially in the pandemic when it when it first when first when things really started to get kind of confusing and navigating you know remote work for many people for the first time it got backburned so to speak just put on the back burner deprioritized i i hear a lot of teams completely getting cut so, and, and that's just a sad reality. I think that especially executive leaders, maybe they just don't really see why it's a priority. So that's just kind of a narrative that I work on. And my messaging is around that of, of why it mm. is. And, and then, you know, with what's happening here with murders of the black community and police brutality really surging on the radar right now, it's interesting to see them now realize, oh, we do need to show that we care about this and what we're doing to address this and to be better and how to be, how we're being anti-racist. So it's interesting uh, now that it's in fashion again, so to speak, they are now acting like they care. And so it's interesting because it does often take a external force for companies to really act on something they maybe Mm -hmm. aren't normally doing, whether it's a P like avoiding a PR nightmare or, you know, in nonprofits specifically funders are now asking for it, which is interesting to me. Right. Okay. So it's Mm -hmm. sort of starting to become almost not optional because people, I mean, for them, it's, it's more security, right? If they Mm -hmm. can guarantee that when they're providing funding, that things are in place to make sure that everyone feels safe and included, that's Mm -hmm. just naturally much, much better. Even though a company would probably look at it sort of going, you know, we wouldn't spend money on that because we'd rather spend money on product on, on development. If we, if we, were given the option. It's interesting to see that, you know, as you're suggesting, it's sort of almost an ex- external force. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mm-hmm. mean that it's, it's the, the segments of that, the different layers of the onion that, that are understanding the importance of it. And, you know, it might not have reached the core yet, but there's, there's layers um, above that, that are, that are picking up on it. And I assume even like boards of directors and things like that are picking up on it as mm-hmm. well. Definitely, especially when their markets are even asking for it, you know, for-profit companies. Mm. I've been hearing in an, in an RFP process, they they ask it for it to be demonstrated and how, how they're committing to diversity, equity, inclusion in order to win a sale or to win a contract. So it's actually becoming weighted in decisions in many ways. Yeah, um, and it's amazing. definitely a factor in recruiting too. I mean, this generation of workers and, and new talent, they're expecting, you know, institutionalized inclusion and for companies Mm. to show it because you know millennials and now we're seeing you know gen z they were just raised to believe that that's how it should be you know and 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 they value that right I, i think even sort of my parents generation would have had the approach of you know if it doesn't seem right you know you don't you don't want to sort of cut cut the hand cut off the hand that is feeding you and you know make an issue of it mm-hmm. just just sort of deal with it and just go with the flow because mm-hmm. the salary is more important but i think there has definitely been a shift in that sort of thought process of no you know we we have a right to feel like we belong like like we're included like mm-hmm. we're respected and if we don't feel that way we we're, we're going to leave mm-hmm. which which is putting that power back on on the employees rather than the employers i think It'll be interesting to see sort of what coronavirus does to all this, obviously coming out of coming out of it, like where the pressures and where the balances shift. But I want to I want to sort of uh, move along the conversation into content marketing because you mentioned content marketing and I am a big fan of content marketing. What are you doing in terms of content marketing? Mm-hmm. Totally. Podcasting is kind of one of my favorite things right now. I have a goal of trying to appear on at least a couple of months and just get used to mm. that. It's new for me. But I think it's a really cool way to just, yeah, have a visible conversation with somebody. And I think it's mutually beneficial. And then I, podcasting has been 
a great way for me to occupy my time too, and you know, being mm. stuck at home. So I've been loving that, but I, I, I'm a writer too. So I, I really love just kind of like honing in on my blog strategy. So blogging is another thing I do. Is that on your website? You're yep. blogging on your website? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. My blog's awesome. on my website. Yep. And mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as well. So I publish articles there, but yep. I blog about bi-weekly now. And my my strategy for the month of June, actually, it's it's really coming together perfectly. It's all about inclusive leadership and the journey to inclusive leadership. So my piece I'm working on right now is kind of the journey companies go through before they're ready to re- fully commit to this work and kind of mistakes they make. And, you know, maybe there's some different intentions or mistakes they're making behind good intentions, I guess I could say. And, and so I really enjoy that because it just kind of helps me push myself to keep, keep that cutting edge. And it just, you know, gets me really researched and watching what others are doing and learning. Um, So I love that. And then, and then, like I said, I'm not at the biggest social media pro, but I am trying to learn. So I like, but I really like LinkedIn. I would say that's my number one channel and it fits perfectly for what I do. And yeah. 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 I mean, it lets you, like you said, it's, it's just perfect because it is such a, such a high level thing that, that, you know, you sort of do have to go in at at sort of a LinkedIn at a very professional level Mm -hmm. to find the right people because, you know, which makes it good for you, I would say, because um, there are lots of other businesses that it's not so clear cut, you know, they could, they could be on almost any platform because there's, there's sort of the ideal clientele on, on any platform, Mm -hmm. but makes it easier for you that, you know, more or less, I would say that LinkedIn is is sort of the only place for you in terms of the bigger social platforms at this stage mm-hmm. for you to really be pushing your pushing your conversation mm-hmm. through and and it's it's probably higher level level sort of stuff anyway. It's not just the you know light read on a on a Sunday afternoon. I, I would guess is that is that right? I don't think it's light at all. Anything on yeah. LinkedIn, I feel like right now, especially, it's pretty heavy content which is good. It keeps me honest. I Mm. have put a lot of pressure on myself to stay very engaged with what's going on right now. And it just gives me access to amazing thinkers and thought leaders and connections. Like what's cool is, I mean, it's such a, it's so, it lends itself really well to HR, human resources and, you know, staffing, recruiting, all that stuff. So what I do is is such a um, component of that. It's not exactly that, but it, it's. I would say that what I do is kind of a lens that HR needs to apply. And mm-hmm. a lot of HR practitioners are kind of like forced upon this work too. It's like dumped on their plate as well. So I look at, at um, HR practitioners as kind of my, my business partner um, in this effort. And so what's been cool, especially when I first launched, was when people would connect with me and I noticed they were always the titles that I wanted. And so that was very affirming to me. And then I would just get in the habit of trying to ask them if somebody connected with me, ask them what inspired you to connect with me? Just as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And I got the most incredible responses and yeah, um, wow. was able to book sales calls off of them. And so it's literal inbound, you know? Yeah. And so yeah, I, I was yeah. able to demo my service for them, show them around, you know, give them a sense for what working with me would be like. And I got nothing but positive feedback. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and it sounds like you've got your target demographic fairly well nailed down. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, it's as you refine it and as you sort of understand, as, as you get sort of your hands dirty, so to speak, it's it's just going to become even more refined. But it sounds like the business, I would assume the business coaches will really push you to get that, get that target demographic pretty well nailed is... For sure. Um, yeah. The work I did with my coach, she called them their, who are your dream clients? So I would yeah. totally write, you know, all of my content and, and craft a strategy around my dream clients, uh, which is kind of, you know, it is kind of hard to do when you're newly starting out, but I know for sure. I mean, I know that my work will require partnering with, with human resources in an organization. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of my, my top tier who I appeal to, but I want to appeal to CEOs, CFOs, you know, COOs, all, you know, the executive levels are, are critical too, because when we start our work together, it does need to come from the top, but oftentimes mm-hmm. it doesn't start at the top. Yeah. So it's yeah. interesting because I mean, often they're they're the ones they're the ones who you know arguably um, feel the least effects of it all because they're in the position of power and it, it's sort of the other end that that really gets affected by by 
sort of what you're focusing on, which is which is just when you're not in a position of power, it's how you get treated in those positions, right? It's how you get treated when when there's no reason for anyone to treat you, at least from a from a work perspective. There's no re- no specific reason or benefit in someone treating you well. That's where you still that's where you would have those um, negative effects or feel the feel the negative effects of where where the current sort of mindset sits depending on the organization of course now let's talk about some mistakes that you've made or, or any that come to mind in the in in your road to road to, you know where you where you are today are there any big sort of mistakes that come to mind things that we can we can learn something from there will be i i right now i'm being pretty gentle on myself and if i if i notice i'm doing something that i need to change I kind of just view it as that. I don't, I try not to um, hark too much on mistakes or be overly critical. I'm trying to think if there, if there was a mistake that I could, that I could share. I mean, not necessarily mistakes. Let's, let's call them, you know, moments where you've got to pivot or moments, Mm -hmm. uh, teachable, learnable moments. Any, Mm -hmm. any, any of those come to mind? Mm -hmm. I, I would say the sw- the shift to virtual was interesting for me. I was luckily not too far down my path of what my service needed to be in person. I, I could I was early enough that I could be very flexible. But I, I think kind of a lesson I've been learning along this way is, you know, because w- another piece of my offering will be workshops and, and me facilitating them. And I've done I've done several in the past, but I, I feel like I Oh, here's one. I feel like I always bite off way more than I can chew. Like I, I mm-hmm. have, I've kind of gone to this zone of like, oh, I can learn anything. I can do anything. I can become an expert in anything. And I'm learning to not backpedal, but just be really careful about that. As an independent consultant, you know, I feel not really any more protection from the world. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I, when I was working for corporate, I, I was even kind of hiding behind the job and feeling very like insulated there. And now when you're consulting and you're an entrepreneur and you're just kind of working on your own and managing all these things on your own, I don't, I feel very like, what's the word I'm looking for? Just immersed. Very, it's, it's a very immersive mm-hmm. experience. And so I'm learning how to say, okay, am I really an expert in this? Don't oversell. Don't oversell what you can do because people can see right through that. And I find my, I believe myself to be a very confident person, so I can sell myself easily, but I just yes. want to just make sure that it's, you know, where I need to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And I think it's a bit of a trap that you can fall into as well, because Google, well, just resources, Google is one of them, but resources are so easily accessible nowadays that you can go down that rabbit hole, come out of it thinking that you're, you're this expert within mm-hmm. a certain, certain area. And then you've got the freedom as, as an entrepreneur, as, as your own boss to then, you know, if you, if you wanted to wake up tomorrow and say, you know, spent, if you spent 40 hours learning about web design, you could, you could probably just say, Hey, I can also help you with your websites. And you could convince yourself, mm-hmm. if, especially if you're self-confident that, that, Hey, yeah, I'm an expert. And just, it can be a trap because you could just, that, that, that sort of this never ending cycle of, you know, oh, this is this other shiny thing that I'm going to, I'm going to upskill myself um, in. And then you'd never let yourself have enough time to really hone in on one thing and become really good at that one thing, which especially at the start, I mean, that's what you got to do. I know, like, I always think to the big, big companies like Deloitte, for example, who offer so many different services, or even like Microsoft and Apple, at some point they were just one product and or, or one service and they got really good at that. And then they funneled back those funds into something else, but they got really good at one thing first. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. sort of what you're touching on here that you shouldn't fall into that trap, especially when you've got time on, time on your hands and there's not a boss saying this is the box within which you must fit yeah. easy to spool everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it, it, we all know as entrepreneurs, keeping focus is definitely a skill because yeah, there's so many interesting things going on that I want to consume that. I want to consume that. Oh, I want to incorporate that into my service somehow or this workshop. And then, then when I go to deliver it, I say, you know, I maybe don't feel like, oh, am I equipped to really be doing this? I don't know, but that could also just be kind of a perfectionist attribute too. (laughs) But uh, what what you're talking about and thinking about content marketing too, this just kind of reminded me of a memory when I realized that I had a a great 
flair for writing and people started to commend me on my writing, I was like, huh, you know, I'm going to explore that because I, I'm, I'm seeking more creativity in my work and this could be a great way to go. And so I, for a while I had these two kind of skills that I was grappling with. How, how can I create a, a, a signature service or a unique you know, contribution with copywriting and, you know, DEI consulting. And so it was this weird thing. And then I realized after um, a year in marketing, I did not like copywriting, actually. <laughs> I was terrible at it. I, you know, and then I, I tried to figure out how I could, you know, sell services, writing web copy and doing all these very specific skills that once I actually accepted a job doing, I, which is, seems very maybe counterintuitive. That's another mistake I could, I could share. <laughs> really, before you accept a job, really be very detailed on what the job is. It's interesting because you want to go for a lot of things. And then maybe when you are in a place, then you learn kind of what you're not actually that great at. But I, what mm -hmm. I do love is writing for myself and writing my own kind of content marketing. I think that's kind of a, a differentiator there. Yeah. And, and I mean, when you're writing for yourself, that's different because you, you know, you know, when, when you speak, it's, it's your tone, it's mm -hmm. your voice, it's, it's your vibe where, I mean, to be a, be a good copywriter, it's really a different skill set because you almost need to s sound like your client, but then say the right words as your client. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a whole different world because I mean, I think about even, even things like photography, I think nowadays we just have the tools so easily accessible. I mean, even copywriting, it's one of those things where, I mean, what's the barrier to entry? It's sort of nothing, right? If you've got a pen and paper, you're, you're good to go. And, and those things cost cents these days, but, but yet there are people who charge. I mean, just recently we were working with someone who charges a hundred Australian dollars an hour and takes, you know, about three hours to write uh, one website, web page of copy. So they're yet able to sell themselves at, at such a, such a high level because, you know, that's just a reminder to me at least that it seems simple, but really it takes a lot of sort of experience and a lot of perfecting to get it to, to a stage where you can sell it to someone. Awesome. So where can people find out more about you? Yeah. So my website, katiezink.co, a really great way to stay current with my work is to sign on for my newsletter. It's called The Confidant Connection. And that's where I'll curate all of my, all the pieces I'm writing. If I've made an appearance on a podcast or something like that, I kind of write that in. And, and then I've got a kind of a theme going monthly. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's a great way to stay current with kind of how I work and, and what I'm writing about. And then on LinkedIn, I'm very active there. So you can find me and, and hit me up on LinkedIn. <laughs> awesome. We'll include all those um, links in the, in the description as usual. So anyone who's listening can um, connect with Katie and sign up to the newsletter. Um, are you ready for the top 12? Oh yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So let's get the ball rolling with uh, top three books or podcasts that you recommend. Yes. So I'll go for books. Top three, one that I can't, I can't promote this enough. It's called So You Want to Talk About Race. And it's about a Seattle-based, or it's a it's by a Seattle-based author called, her name is Ijeoma Uluo. And if you are interested in learning more about having discussions about race and kind of the importance of being anti-racist, this book is a great place to go. Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott, also Seattle-based. This is just so, imp so important for people that are managing teams or managing or leading organizations about how to have like fierce conversations and effective mm -hmm. communication. And randomly, I came across this other one. It's called Unfuck Your Brain. Mm -hmm. And it's all about kind of managing trauma, grief, coping, and just like all the things that our brain is working through on a regular basis that we may not fully understand. I learned a lot from that. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. That's a very solid start. I yeah. must say, um, uh, especially the first two really, really sort of made me go, Hey, I've got to, I've got to find those. I'm probably going to try and look for audio books though. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I find it much, much, well, I can just smash through it. Mm -hmm. Right. I can, I can listen to, I'm, I'm one of those people who can listen to things while working and still get both done quite effectively. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I can sort of really rack up the um hours listening to listening to content mm -hmm. so i'm gonna the first thing i'm gonna do is now look for look for those first two books because um they're very relevant now, right now as well just from you know professional point of view as well as just looking at what's going on out there um and hearing other people's sort of points of view on this is is really crucial too so 
Fantastic. Um, next mm-hmm. one, top three software or tools you can't live without. I would say LinkedIn is kind of number one for me right now. I'm getting the most kind of ROI, if you will, with LinkedIn. Um, Asana is, I use the free version, but it's my go-to project management tool. And the last one is a tie between ConvertKit and Squarespace. I My website is hosted on Squarespace and I'm just so illiterate when it comes to website building. So that was great for me. But ConvertKit, I'm getting, I'm kind of geeking out about. They have an amazing content marketing program and their webinars they put out, their trainings and their workshops are really, really solid. And as a brand new entrepreneur building my contact list, I would recommend it as a tool for sure. And, and I assume your newsletter is powered by ConvertKit yes. as well? Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. No, ConvertKit's an awesome tool. So Squarespace for someone who's just starting mm-hmm. off and, you know, wanting to get, get, get a web presence that looks nice at, at an affordable sort of price. Yeah. That's, that's again, very, very solid recommendations. I've used Asana over the years. We use something a bit more complex mm-hmm. now with, with a lot more customizations, but Asana again, um, especially at their free tier from memory, Asana's free tier is quite generous and mm-hmm. is enough for at least a solopreneur. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Top three mantras you try to live by. So the first one, this is actually my, my marketing coach, hers that I have been adopting a lot right now is done over perfect. We mm-hmm. t- I t- kind of mentioned perfectionism earlier, but it's something that I'm aware of now that I maybe am falling into a perfectionism groove. And so I know when I've spent enough time on something, I'm starting to get comfortable okay, this is done. I don't need to do any more tweaks or tests. Like it's done (laughs) and walk away. (laughs) So done over perfect is a really good one. Uh, Another one that I like is to put your mask on before helping others because self-preservation is key. You know, it's not to be selfish, but it's just self-preservation I think is so important. We have to take care of ourselves in order to bring our whole selves into our work and do good work and continue to be there, you know, day after day to continue to do that work as mm-hmm. well. I think just the other day I was watching an episode of shark tank and it was, it was a social enterprise and their whole thing was, you know, they, they want this social mission to be realized. But what the sharks kept saying were, yes, but you know, it, it is about the money, even though you're saying it's about the social mission, because you've got to be here. The world, world's not going to be a better place if you don't exist tomorrow. At least, you know, your impact on the world is not going to be felt if you're not here tomorrow mm-hmm. as, as a business. So yeah, self-preservation goes hand in hand with mm-hmm. that. So I love that. No one's, no one's ever actually uh, said, said that one before. Really? Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so true. And I think that we're all kind of like having to digest a lot right now. So don't forget to take care of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what's the third? The third is a simple one. It's just speak up, speak up. In my work, I talk about speak up culture. And I think there's a di- big difference in calling out and calling in. I don't know if you've ever kind of okay. heard that distinction, but I think oh. it's really important because the difference between calling in is it's always leading with heart and kindness. So, you know, a lot of us are maybe having difficult, fierce conversations right now. Calling people out, I don't find to be as effective in the long run. Whereas calling in is just a way more compassionate, heart-centered way to communicate with people. Right. So, so what's, what, how would that in, in practice, let's say someone at work is really phoning it in, you know, taking, taking credit for the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, one option is to just put them on blast, right? Just go, Mm -hmm. go to the bosses and be like, listen, this guy or this girl, he's, they're just taking all, all my, all the credit for all the work. They're really Mm -hmm. not showing up. What's the calling in sort of approach to that? Mm -hmm. Would you say? Yeah, I actually, I'm just kind of like flipping to some notes because I have been writing a lot about this Mm -hmm. and I kind of have like tips that I like to share for how to speak up kind of in the moment. And the first really is just to think about the mindset and just to remember that just because you're the loudest person in the room or somebody else is the loudest person in the room, it doesn't mean that they're the only ones with, with good ideas. So challenging group think is, is just really, really important and allowing space for to share the air. Basically, that's one of my agreements. I always share with my clients is share the air. You know, some people are more comfortable talking and talking and hearing themselves talk. And I'm an introvert. I'm somebody who'd rather listen and stay quiet. And so those people kind of have to push themselves to speak up a little bit more. And so when you're kind of like maybe up against a situation, you know, maybe it's like a situation where somebody is just, you know, 
there's been a microaggression, somebody's kind of insulted somebody, or there's been, you know, somebody's just kind of been targeted for something. There are some things you can definitely do. And I talk a lot about this and and my content is, you know, interrupting that bias or interrupting that with things like humor, you know, if that's in your wheelhouse and it's appropriate and it's, you know, with led with kindness, like it's totally a great strategy to like just break up the pattern with some humor and make, get people laughing mm-hmm. and maybe like just interrupt and make them think about a comment that wasn't great or because really it's so important to be represented like in a project, in a meeting, having your voice heard. So for people that just aren't that comfortable speaking up, it's just a good habit to get into. Another, another skill is kind of that I recommend is honing in on your critical thinking skills because that'll just build your confidence naturally. I think when we're, we were in school, you know, critical thinking was just part of the pedagogy and it was part of our curriculum, mm-hmm. but I don't know if adults practice it as much as they could now. So I like to, you know, advise people to just take those surveys. When you get like marketing surveys, just take them, just like practice those critical thinking skills and make it a habit. Yeah. And then my personal favorite is actually like, just take the day it's actually really awkward and hard and difficult to speak up in the moment, at least for me sometimes. And so mm-hmm. I think take the day, journal it out, sleep on it. And then if there's something that you wanted to speak up about, go privately and speak with, with that person or your manager or your client, you know, at another time, mm-hmm. especially if you're in a situation where you're managing up, I find that to be really effective too. Yeah. Rather than sort of, you know, sometimes the trap you can fall in there when you, when you sort of tell someone to, to, you know, stop being quiet, speak up is that mm-hmm. then it can sort of things can be done in the heat of the moment without real, real critical thinking. And then mm-hmm. you end up being, you know, louder than you might traditionally be putting yourself out of out of your comfort zone to then not convey your message and all in all just end up in a in a situation where you're probably better off just to shut up <laughs> um, right but but if you take all those tips as a as a whole i think i think yeah very good advice because you can you you're basically you know going through all that first rather than just speaking up for no reason. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's sort of the, the advice that I think you take one of those, just one of those things mm-hmm. doesn't quite work, but you take the whole and it's, it's really much greater than the, the sum of its parts. So mm-hmm. fantastic. Top three people you follow and why? So I think right now I'm following a lot of peer practitioners in the space that I work. And so I'd be happy to name off a few that that do similar work as me, but come from a different perspective and maybe bring other, you know, they they do bring other contributions. One is Lily Zhang. Lily is a DEI practitioner in the San Francisco Bay Area. And she's published kind of all over the place. She writes for Harvard Business Review. And I Mm. kind of wake up every day to something amazing that Lily has posted on LinkedIn. She's just stellar. Other than that, I really, the author that I mentioned before, I bet you can find her on audio, Ijeoma Uluo. I am, I do use Instagram, not for business, but for personal. Um, And I love everything she puts out when she does her lives or, you know, her excerpts. Like it's, it's just really informs a lot of my, um, kind of my thinking. And then Mm -hmm. a third, oh, can I, okay, totally random, nothing to do with work, but Benny Drama. Do you know Benny Drama? No, no, tell me more. (laughs) Okay, you need to be following him. He's so hilarious. He's, I think he's a New York-based content creator and he's an actor. He has like a stage production and he does like the most flawless like impersonations you'll ever see of just like, you know, Billie Eilish or the Kardashians or Mm -hmm. whoever is like kind of in vogue right now. And he's just so funny. Just the funniest videos. He's, 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 mostly videos, but posts. And he's always kind of like in drag or in some sort of costume. And he's like very good though, too, like super skilled. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Awesome. Love it. That's, that's a really nice mix of wholesome and, you know, wholesome, but in a different way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, Katie. I mean, as always, Future Tribe, all links from this um, episode is going to be available in the, in the description, including links to all the uh, software and book and people that we've talked about in this episode. So any parting words, Katie? Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Yeah, great way to spend the I'm afternoon. Glad. I'm, glad you, <laughs> I'm glad you think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was great to connect and it was great to chat and you know i might i might be shooting an email once i've again just thought about our conversations and it's like i said you know it's inclusion and equality and diversity is an area that i'm you know 
trying to upskill myself in and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's something that I have a very very interesting relationship with because mm-hmm. being in Australia we moved to Australia I'm sort of a brown male with mm-hmm. a beard you know I I, I I have an interesting relationship with it because I choose to think that people come from a, a place of goodness and you know not mm-hmm. not racism and so on and so forth but you know there's just things that I like just just even just small things like you know ordering fried rice and being told oh it's got it's got bacon in it you know mm. are you okay with that you know assuming that i'm muslim for example just even subtle things like that so it's it's always been this thing where i'm like you know i sucked it up you've got to all suck it up as well and just you know just deal with it and sort of navigate through it and but but on the other hand this conversation um in particular has sort of made me think about it more from the other side of you know maybe you just don't have to put up with it. There, there, mm-hmm. there, is, there is systematic things that have happened over the years and just systematic things that have been set up in such a way that it benefits a certain group or it, it has attributes that attract a certain group. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've, we can change that because those are just established at, at a certain point mm-hmm. by people. And that just means that they can be changed by people. And there's a role that we can play in in all of that as well. Oh my gosh. I love that. And you know, when I was thinking of the name for my company, you've just described it basically. It's called Social Construct Consulting Mm -hmm. because everything that we are experiencing is that. And so it can be changed and improved upon. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would love to share, I could talk about this stuff all day. So I would, I would be happy to you know, share more stuff. If you have questions, I can elaborate sure. and, and send you some other things to check out too. would love to do that. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Katie. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. Same. Have a great day. <laughs> you too. Thank you for listening to the Future Tribe podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast app. 